When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. There's two films in particular we're going to be sort of like maybe volleying back and forth between. And um, I think the, there's, there's several things that to me connect the two. Um, one of the most uh, sort of superficial and obvious uh, to point out, which may you know cue the eye rolls of people who think it's too obvious, but uh, it's between two women filmmakers mm-hmm. and the fact that that's still noteworthy and not acknowledged that there is a wealth of incredibly visionary um, women directors. Like that's it's just sort of like hard to deal with the fact that we have to still acknowledge that this is uh, noteworthy. Like of course there are amazing women directors. Like let's, uh, but but we're still here, we're still here. Where it's like, it's unique and it's worth celebrating every time it happens. But we have two women directors, one of sort of you know newer one, mm-hmm. Anna Airport with her new film, The Bad Batch, after her sort of like right out the gate uh, art house vampire movie, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and uh, we have uh, just sort of you know an an old soul at this point. She's been working. <laughs> For quite a while, um, Sofia Coppola's new film, *The Beguiled*, mm-hmm. and like that—that's the first connection. But like to me, both films uh, sort of deal with a group of characters uh, living in the context of an insanely politicized world and environment. But inside of it, you don't hear much about the politics that dictated the world that they live in. It's just people trying to exist trying to survive and dealing with just the sort of interpersonal relationships and conflicts that happen, but like not being able to ignore like the sort of politicized heightened environment they're in never really drawing attention to it, but it's the brackets that they are inside that they are struggling within. And Mm -hmm. so like that to me, like the one depicts a historical period where literally our country was divided much like it is right now but uh yes. there was a, a literal war going on between the north and the south this is the civil war <laughs> just a little war <laughs> yeah yeah it was a little one but um so it's it's uh sofia coppola's film the beguiled is a remake of a film where clint eastwood was a soldier who was rescued by uh a school for it's a smaller school in the South and it's an all, all women and uh, it, the tensions that develop as they decide to let him re- recuperate there. And um, so there's just like elements of survival in both films, elements mm-hmm. of a heightened environment. There is spoiler alert amputation in both films. <laughs> yes, uh, there. <laughs> and so like, I just, there, One's a historical film. One is a fictional environment that doesn't feel too far off from reality, yeah, I feel like. Because yeah. um, we have the Bad Batch where um, never really dwelled upon, but a group of people are rounded up and sort of dropped um, by the government into a sort of a, a zone, a desolate desert environment where it's no longer the United States and all bets are off and the people who are stranded there are left to fend for themselves from each other, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, we could just uh, drop into, I think, uh, Sofia Coppola's new film first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is uh, her her first foray back since uh, The Bling Ring. Yeah, I mean, unless you you don't count the Netflix, like, sort of movie, the, the uh, Murray Christmas, A Very Murray Christmas, or whatever that oh. was. She did. She was responsible for that. Okay. She directed that, but it's like a, it's like a old school, like a variety show, kind of in the spirit of old TV variety shows. Um, uh-huh. So I guess her, yeah, this is her next proper feature from the Bling Ring. 
So yeah, she so, keeps busy. She does. She but the films feel like they've uh, they've aged slowly. There's a patience to the films that um, I don't know. There was just something about like this one, and we can get into our differences in opinion on the film itself. But uh, there was like. Her her first film, The Virgin Suicides, I think is like one of her best, and mm-hmm. it was such a like stunning debut, seventeen years ago at this point, um, and it was just there was there was a tension behind this sort of like placid surface that mm-hmm. like the placid surface became an area of fixation without necessarily the emotional storms beneath it that mm-hmm. seemed to charge both The Virgin Suicides and to me The Beguiled now, but. Um, there seemed to be just like a, a fixation on detachment that became the focal point for at least loss in translation. And, uh, so Jesus, this somewhere. Happened. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I like, talked myself out of knowing what the title was. Cause somebody's like someday, no, someplace, no, somewhere. Yes. Yes. That's it. Nailed it. Um, but, uh, so like to me, this movie, uh, immediately from the beginning where, uh, you know, a young schoolgirl comes upon a wound played by Colin Farrell. Played, you know, pretty, pretty well by Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's somebody who I don't know why I feel like defending him. Like I don't know who's necessarily maligning him, but like you and I have kind of argued on his behalf for some of his more sort of like juicier character roles. Yeah, and and uh, but it, there's there seems to be like a, I don't know what movie he stepped into besides the Total Recall remake that people are like, oh fuck that guy but i just <laughs> I feel like i have to defend him when mm. i don't understand why well i feel uh, like he real quick i think he had a long stretch there where like he was any of the high profile gigs he got like didn't work out like i mean i think of alexander remember that one yeah i mean so he's groomed yeah. as like a star totally. and that necessarily like suit him like, I mean, he's sort of like a Brad Pitt in that way, where Brad Pitt's best, most memorable roles are oftentimes the ones where he's not in charge of the movie, yeah. you know? Like, now, I don't I don't really get people talking about Brad Pitt's performance in Seven Years in Tibet or A River Runs Through It or Legend of the Fall the way they do 12 Monkeys or True Romance or something like that. So, like, mm-hmm. Colin Farrell's the same way. Like, he was, I think he was, like, a really inspired choice for the Fright Night remake because mm. he... He loves he loves remakes, you know. He yes, he does. Remake, he's on board. Total Recall, Fright Night. Who gives a shit? Get in, get in there, Colin. <laughs> so, not to get too off track. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, in the opening scene of mm. the Beguiled, mm-hmm. there's just like there's there's a patience. There's like a sort of like uh, a, a wonder to everything. In, not in a Terrence Malick way, but like you know the sort of windblown trees that the girls walking underneath and the this rhythm of bombs going off which sort of like is the is the background for most of the movie and i was just like oh shit this is like this is it, it's so interesting to have like people trying to live their lives while there's something drastic is happening all around them and just trying to keep keep sticking to their routine and to what they know while like the world is literally ripping itself apart around them that's not not topical now you know it is very topical <laughs> maybe it's always going to be maybe <laughs> we'll forever be ripping ourselves apart while we're just trying to go about our day-to-day lives but so colin farrell gets introduced to this household led by nicole kidman and assisted by kirsten dunst another beautiful performance by kirsten dunst who mm-hmm. has been sort of creeping back in with like a her in midnight special and now yeah, yeah. she's she, she's back um and it just a, it's a really great ensemble and a, a film that I think like just carries a lot of loaded tension from scene to scene, a lot of like tricky humor and a lot of just like beautifully executed cinematography. Mm-hmm. And I think that like by the end, you you realize that Sofia Coppola's strengths are finding the the tension and accessing it in moments where action isn't specific. And then once action gets specific, the movie definitely starts to get a little wobbly. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just by the end, I was like, I was super just immersed in the film, like for the first uh, like two thirds, I'd say. And by the, the last third, I wasn't out of it, but I was just like, 
okay, I might be ready for it to be done. And like, and that's fine. And it was good. I like, I definitely don't feel as strong as I did like throughout. Like, um, but I think what she's good at is, is finding the sort of trickier, complicated moments. And when it has to get on a sort of conventional, this is happening now, this will happen. It starts to get a little less sure-footed. Like she traffics in ambiguity, I think a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I would have preferred this movie to to be much more ambiguous, actually. To be, yeah. I don't know, more... I haven't totally, like, figured it out yet. Like, it to... to because I... Here's my thing. This movie, I thought, had so much potential. I think it was loaded with all these things. You've you've brought it up. Like, the whole idea of the Civil War backdrop. Those... The, the sounds of the bombs in the distance. Like you said, it almost, like, scores the movie slightly. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just always hearing that. It's always out there. There's just so much. I, I love that environment to build this kind of story around. But to me, this movie was screaming to be pulpier, to be uh, right. to be more uh, campy in a way. And maybe maybe that's just I mean, that's not Sofia Coppola's style. I mean, there's nothing right. in her her previous work that leads me to think she would make something really heightened melodramatic and campy like she's not going to turn this into like whatever happened to baby jane but i kind of felt like this movie needed some of that histrionic stuff yeah or the handmaiden from last year oh great that is a great example very yeah i didn't i didn't think of it but great great call um and and a period piece as well the handmaiden where it was able to bring in a lot of lurid elements but also um fit have into elegance to it too you know like there was mm-hmm. there was an element of sleaze but there was also an elegance that sort of like lifted everything up yes it yeah. made it dynamic and uh you know that's it's just a tricky tone to try to pull off because it's like if you find yourself i think a lot of people uh if they find themselves laughing at stuff that's tense they're they're more apt to sort of dismiss it as as like bad camp you mm-hmm. know yeah yeah it's true i guess you can fail much and a much more grand level going for something like that, where that if nothing else, the beguiled is is definitely a cons- it's consistent with a lot of like Coppola. It's it's a Coppola movie, a Sofia Coppola movie, definitely. Yeah. It's it's got her style through and through. I just I felt like this one had a sort of um, almost like I, I thought of it like this. I came out of the screening thinking like, man, what if someone told you this story, just like you were at a party or something, you ran into someone, they're like, man, I got a story to tell you. And they just sort of told it in the way that the beguiled Sophia Coppola's version of the beguiled, like tells its story. I just feel like by the end, you'd be like, the person would be telling you in a way that's like, then this happens and then this happens. And then the end. And you would, I, I just kept feeling like, there's more there, isn't there? Like, why are you telling me this story? And especially where it goes in the end, um, which definitely feels inevitable. What happens? I just feel like the well, tension. Okay. Go ahead. Can, so, if somebody was telling you the story at a party, are they mentioning windblown trees for several <laughs> minutes, uh, like as an as an aside, or is that not part of it? Ah, that's a good point. Okay, so the atmospheric elements that are definitely there that. Um, yeah got me into the movie in the beginning. Right. I suppose not. Right. That's something that just makes it a movie in a lot of ways where it has right. these, these elements that don't have to push the story forward. But if I'm just looking at the bare bones of the storytelling, the, the narrative like progression, and maybe that's not fair then because I am eliminating those other sort of ethereal elements that are definitely in this movie. I, I just feel like by the end it became so sort of like um, it's it sort of, eliminated those elements at least in my memory and just the feeling of it as it progressed I just feel like the movie never had any momentum as it went and I wanted some flow from scene to scene instead I just felt like every cut was sort of jarring and didn't like she was always antsy to get to the next scene and while I love when a filmmaker can pare a film down and cut every scene down to the bone and like move things along it felt like this movie in a weird way. I'm glad it was like 95 minutes long, but I think it needed like another half an hour to pad it out and let it breathe a little bit more because that feels like the kind of film she wanted to make something that would take a little time, but instead it kind of ramps up and the, the tension you allude to, especially near the end, I feel like all that stuff that's screaming for like a set piece. She's just Mm -hmm. Sophia Coppola just doesn't seem interested in that and actively sort of eliminates 
elements that you're like, that could, you could be building suspense right there. And she just doesn't Matic where like, Mm -hmm. you know, a film like the handmaiden there, there is like, it does have that sort of payoff because it can pull off the sort of like, not action set pieces, but the, the sort of more kind of thrillery aspects and set pieces like to her, these plot points seem like afterthoughts. And so as the movie starts to like need to resolve itself, it, it, the resolution starts to feel like an afterthought. Whereas like when everything is uh, loaded up, like in, in the exchanges between either the students and the wounded soldier or the, the teachers and the wounded soldier, there's all this sort of like compacted uh, sexual tension that's beneath like layers of posturing and, you know, like just, pe- just period like grooming and posturing, you mm-hmm. know, like that all of that is like, you're wondering where it's going. And then as it has to go somewhere in the end, it starts to fizzle, you know, cause she, 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 it starts to be treated as an afterthought. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a sort of anticlimactic problem. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, stuff that I found really interesting that I, that is, is definitely in the film. It's there and it's meant to like add more to it, like add more with less. And a lot of it was like all the, the little shots of like side glances you get in this movie of, mm-hmm. Of like the, it's all about these, uh, you know, you got Elle Fan and you got Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, and then like three or four other like younger actors, younger, mm-hmm. young, young women in the film. And they're all that stuff I felt like was really juicy. And like, and uh, I felt like that is something Sophia Coppola is uh, particularly, particularly like adept at. Like she, that's a something that's right in her wheelhouse to sort of deal with these these female relationships and how complicated it can get and the way they're all sort of like over, like looking over their shoulder at each other. Like who's doing this? This movie is filled with these sort of side glances yet. I, I, in the end it wants to become, I just felt like it became something else. Like it, it is sort of anticlimactic. It goes to this place that's sort of traditional. And then it also almost wants to be like a female empowerment story. And unless maybe I'm way off on that, but like, there's a sort of coming together of the group at the end where it seems like they were, they were splintering off throughout the movie. And I'm not quite sure how the movie reconciles that, like how they, how did it come to that? It's just like it needed to, but I didn't ever feel the connective tissue. Whereas maybe we can, we can pivot now to our, our second feature. don't need to go into what happens at the end of the bad batch but um i think that there there is a profound ambiguity to the ending of the bad batch like uh, like it it troubled me the first time i saw it i saw it (laughs) last year at beyond fest and then just rewatched it um finished it this morning Mm -hmm. but there is like a graduate level ambiguity and uh and not harshness but just like uh uh, a, a, a near tragedy to the conclusion of this movie that was a much bolder statement in a, in a film that I think does what you're sort of arguing that the beguiled would have benefited from where it is padded out. This, mm-hmm. The bad batch is two hours long and takes these lengthy sort of just like poetic excursions of just like capturing the landscape and just like not having any sense of hurry necessarily to it while still, having this atmosphere of dread never leaving the circumstances. Yes. The ending is, there is a lot there going on. There is a lot that could be troubling. You could also see it as kind of sweet. Another thing without giving too much about where it goes is I was um, kind of shocked is the wrong word. I was really surprised and then sort of after the fact, really taken with how she turned the Bad Batch into a very similar romance like her previous film, a girl walks home alone at night where, where there is this sense of like the danger inherent in like falling for someone, you know, like is sort of made like it's right there on the surface of this movie because there's real danger throughout it, you know, in, in this world that it exists in this, 
uh, this part of Texas that is no longer a part of the United States anymore. Really interesting idea. Um, it's in this dystopic future where, you know, it doesn't seem that far off really as like heightened as this movie is. Um, uh, it, it, this feels eerily like a world we could end up in, you know, it's, uh, there there's all that going on there, but yet, yeah, she pulled off something that is, I don't know it. I found it kind of sweet by the end. Um, but yet yeah, you can't deny the, the scary, the, yeah, the scary elements inherent in the ending. We just get into the plot a little bit. So, sure. uh, so the movie starts with, uh, the main character played by a Sookie Waterhouse being dropped off, um, in this sort of zone that's been annexed from Texas. And like, there's, there's a rusted sign on the way in when she's dropped off in this fenced immense area that says, uh, good luck. Or like <laughs> such you know, a great like, touch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're no longer part of the United States and you were subject to whatever happens to you. Good luck. It's, yeah. it's a little more eloquent than that. A little more, um, you know, <laughs> legalese, but you know, so she, she very quickly, after sort of wandering around, gets abducted by a camp of what turns out to be cannibals, and um, and she has to fight her way out of it and survive. And like the the movie switches not just tones, but like but types of films like very effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Like it goes from like what could be just like survival, just survival terror movie. Um, I I don't I don't really want to use the term torture porn anymore just right. because it feels like we're so far past it and it feels limiting and limited. Mm-hmm. But um, there is an aspect of that where she's you know she has some of her limbs cut off and it's a very immediate, visceral, terrifying, nightmarish film at first. Yeah, and she she manages to sort of claw her way out and then survive on her own in the desert before finding a sort of more inclusive. Uh, uh, a little more if if a utopia is possible inside of a dystopia like this <laughs> it's like there's a camp of sort of like optimistic people who uh who are led you find out later by a, a cult figure looking like a sort of mildly doughy pablo escobar Keanu Reeves, who, Dude, um, i thought of the okay this is a you know the character that andy kaufman would play that like yeah. lounge yeah. singer that's who i thought keanu reeves really looked oh, like in this person. Yeah, Tony Clifton. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was like, God, he looks just like that. But yeah, he's got a Pablo Escobar thing going on too, for sure. Yeah, a little bit of that. And so she winds up there, and then from then, there, there's just a. She runs back in to a cannibal family led by Jason Momoa. Is that right? I think so. AKA Conan. Uh, He's uh, Aquaman, Joe. (laughs) That's true. He well, he was Conan. So he was all these things. In this, he's Miami man. Um, so he, uh, so it's just it's it, like there's an urgency early on in the film that, despite the like dread that it induces, never going away, it still manages to have like a sort of stretched out, poetic, daydreamy quality once you sort of transition out of the nightmare portion of the film. And there's just like a lot of ideas to to sort of like to pick apart in this film where it's like these people pitted against each other and it's just the rawest power struggle where they're literally using each other as like a a means to survive. Mm -hmm. Like they're feeding on the flesh of other people to survive. And then when it's boiled down to that is once you strip away all of civilization, like that's what it could come down to that. Like, this is the raw brutality of existence. How does civilization, how do you find it again once it's been like ripped away from you? All of that, uh, like as a sort of pile of ideas that started with like uh, the filmmaker, she, the idea came to her because she was going through a horrendous breakup and she just, she had this idea of like feeling so dismembered and weakened and just like crushed by the experience that she pictured somebody trying to pull themselves along a barren desert floor on a skateboard like while her body is destroyed basically and so like the start of this film it didn't even have political implications uh when she was like inspired to make it but everything started to sort of fill itself in and Mm. inform itself once she started down the path of like 
you know, focusing on this image. And like this image winds its way into the film. Like you have Sookie Waterhouse's character dragging herself across the sort of like cracked, dehydrated, barren desert on a skateboard. And like, and everything is just so like, it's so evocative, you know, yeah. like there's, there's so many beautiful ruined images in this film. There's so many incredible performances by not just a doughy, um, Keanu Reeves, but like Jim Carrey, yes. who like took me, I saw this like in the theater and saw, you know, Jim Carrey larger than life on like a 70 millimeter size screen. Like he, he, and I didn't recognize him for like five minutes. I was like, Oh shit, that's Jim Carrey. Okay. Like, <laughs> A wordless performance that's so like riveting and unlike anything he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Giovanni Ribisi is also in this film, and it is inc- like one of my favorite performances from him I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of his. Yeah, so it's just like you know, this was like a, a standout, and like there's just like so much <clears throat> to sort of wander through in this film: performances, images, and uh, ultimately a very like. like tricky ambiguity Mm. like when it sort of like lands on this concluding moment that i won't again i won't spoil but like eric we can talk secretively while everybody (laughs) else listens like you know why the fucking ending of this movie is devastating to me personally yes i do (laughs) and i guess like if you're an avid listener you could probably assume why um If Gene's school is protective of children in movies, I am protective of animals in film and animals in peril is just like, that's the fastest way for me to to shut down. (laughs) And like, I saw this last year, Mm -hmm. like had a similarly kind of like, Oh, that's a fucked up ending. Um, But this time, like it made me cry. It, it, it made me cry and like, not in a frustrated, I'm mad you made me feel this way, but in a like, Oh shit. Like there's something very tricky to try to process at the conclusion of this film, as opposed to the way the beguiled sort of lands. And you're just sort of like, "Eh, all right, you know, it's just like, it's a beautiful image that sort of concludes the beguiled with pulling out beyond the fence of this uh, household. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, that's a, that's a nice, that's pretty, but I don't feel anything, (laughs) you know, but like at the end of, the bad batch you're like you're focusing on like well what is this telling me and like why i feel really fucked up because of this and um i f- i feel like that reaction mm-hmm. um that i feel really fucked up about this may not be why people have been shutting down about this movie but this movie's been getting a kind of weird negativity towards it you know that seems confusing considering how kind of uh, rejoiced her her like debut was yeah you know maybe it's like the scale of the movie that like it has a sort of like bigger budget look and you know like uh, muscularity to it not just talking about Jason but uh, <laughs> there's 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 just like a sort of like bigger spectacle quality and I think maybe maybe there's like an expectation of a, a genre payoff that the movie doesn't necessarily deliver. Cause it's, it's a movie that has a more meandering quality to it. Yes. That um, is, that is the word I was going to say is I think this movie is beautifully me- meandering. And like, I think, I, I, I think you almost have to start at the beginning of the movie to realize why I think some people are responding negatively to this movie, because let's be honest, the first 20 minutes of the bad batch is, almost a perfect short film. Like if you wanted to, to just release it as a short, it would be, it would be beloved by many people. I think, I think this movie has such a great opening that it's almost like the saving private Ryan effect where obviously that movie is really well reviewed, but there's a lot of people that think the movie is a a major, like it has nowhere else to go. It's sort of a letdown because it starts so strong and the bad batch is no different. I, I, for one, I think the beginning of this movie is, um, I think the reason it is really strong, but why the movie still works all the way through for me, even while it meanders and, and sort of takes its time and sort of luxuriates in an ugliness that can be beautiful at the same time is that it, mm-hmm. there was so much goodwill built up for the way the, the movie starts, but also the way it sets up its lead character, um, played by Suki Waterhouse is, uh, another movie it made me think of is There Will Be Blood because the opening of that movie, with which also has very little, no dialogue in There Will Be Blood, I think there's almost not, no dialogue in the beginning of The Bad Batch, is it sets up this character that is literally drags her herself, like 
gets herself out of a horrible situation. So I think it's a great way to sort of introduce you not only to the world, but to this character who we see her get herself out of something. And it's like, wow, like she could have, we see uh, at least one other, uh, it's not even a character, another person in this movie that doesn't survive the the sort of cannibal trap that she's in. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you see our lead character do it. I just love the way it can introduce that and she gets herself out of it. It, it, this movie is also very good at world building at, at letting. And that's why I also liked the meandering quality of it is like as fucked up as this place is. I, I loved being like in it, being immersed in it. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just think it, the beginning sets up a lot of goodwill, but also for, uh, I think for a lot of other viewers, it sets up expectations that maybe the movie isn't going to fulfill in their mind. It's not going to be a thrill, like, a thrill a minute sort of like genre effort all the way through. It's just, it's using that to sort of introduce these other elements. And this is one of those poly genre movies we've talked about where it does hop from, from a different type of movie to movie throughout. And I think she's very, really good at threading uh, all those together. And the stuff that there's, I think there's a lot of fat in this movie, but I wouldn't want to cut any of it down. Even as I was watching scenes where, uh, for instance, uh, there's a point in the movie where Jason Momoa's character, he likes to draw and sketch mm-hmm. and uh, he encounters Jim Carrey's character and he's trying to get information from him. And the deal they strike is that he will sketch uh, an, uh, a portrait for Jim Carrey. Is there mm-hmm. any reason we need to have a five minute scene of actually watching Jason Momoa draw him out? No, you could just cut to the end of the picture and y- y- the scene would be shorter. But even as I kind of giggled at those moments, it's like, really, we're going to watch this whole thing play out him drawing them. Like I kind of loved, like, I didn't feel like it was indulgent. I just feel like that's the, that's just the pace she wants to strike. And I'm, I think I'm more and more <clears throat> starting to appreciate movies that are willing to breathe. Uh, we talk about this a yeah. lot, like, like 70 movies from the seventies. The original alien is one I go back to where it's like, I love how slow that movie is. And in a way, the bad yes. batch is slow and meandering, but, um, I loved that it builds, it uses that to build a world to suck you into a certain atmosphere. And I just think that doesn't work for, for, for audiences, a lot of audiences and even critics in this example. Yeah. Yeah, I think like people's, people's impatience, not just as audience members, but as creators, assuming the impatience of the audience is they're not, they're like, we'll just get to the point, get to the point, get to the point where they, they don't eventually have a point because they've eliminated all build to an eventual point because there needs to be a sort of process that the audience is involved with to land at a moment you would hope like we talked about this i think like last episode or the one before that where it's like if people are just trained to cheer on command then like the whole process just becomes meaningless you know and so like this is a weird movie that starts off with uh, an incredible raw urgency to it. Yeah, the first 20 minutes is like harrowing. It's fucking intense and overwhelming to the point where like, I don't know that you could sustain that for 90 minutes, let alone two hours, you know, or, or like yep. why, what sort of like dead inside audience would want to see <laughs> like that level of brutality prolonged <laughs> for, for, you know. And so to I think you're right that there is – that 20 minute chunk, no pun intended, uh, like it, the, the, the end of that genre film, if that was fleshed out to feature length again, no pun intended fleshed out, but like (laughs) the end is her getting away. The end is her surviving the ordeal end of story. And it's just like, but that's not the end of the story. If you're examining a sort of existence beyond just merely surviving and what it means to sort of get beyond just raw survival that's what the movie is more preoccupied with. And you can't even narrow it down to being like, that's what the movie's all about because there's so many kind of like ideas at work oh, yeah. that are at times a little more ham fisted than others. You know, Giovanni Ribisi's character is staring at in a disassembled puzzle of an American flag. Like that's a little heavy handed, but I'm f- fuck it. I'll take it. I'll take heavy handed, you know, in, in art when like, it seems like nothing is being, like kind of stated anymore you know yes. what i mean and like not like none of the rest like the rest of the film is not heavy-handed in any way it, it it does traffic in that ambiguity that charges up moments it's got a patience that's sort of kind of sorely missing from most movies nowadays yeah ex- exactly man like that's 
that is what I, I overall responded so strongly to this movie is how different it's feeling than most movies. And we're in summer movie season, so we're getting a lot of that where the sort of uh, thing you, you talked about where – and it's, it's, this comes up almost every episode between us, but it's worth continuing to examine and discuss is like – the idea of like just because it's in the script and these beats get hit doesn't mean you've earned moments in your movie. Yeah. But that's the world we live in in like most modern, uh, especially big movie making right now. It's like it's the the Marvel effect or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, well, they hit these moments and then these things happen. So then it will lead to the next thing in the next movie. But like I don't actually feel any of it. I just feel this rush to get to the next thing. And yeah. I think the audience has just been conditioned over decades of this kind of movie making where they're every, for the most part, they're, they're okay with that. Like it, it's like, it, it's enough. And I, I want the stuff that, that takes its time that luxuriates more and actually earns these moments. And, um, it, the bad batch just stands out so much. It stands out even in comparison again to the beguiled, which in a weird way, the beguiled is one of those movies that we're, we're complaining about. Because it's what it felt like to me, where it's just like it gets to this, then it gets to that. And that was a strange uh, experience for me to like be like, wow, Sofia Coppola. It's not the same as watching a Marvel movie or anything. But I no. do think there was – it's not even close. But I, I do think <laughs> – am I reaching? <laughs> no, no, no. I just I, – there's, there's the merit to going to the beguiled over a sort of like any of the other kind of like – rushed impatient movies that are sort of clogging the the movie theaters nowadays that even even if it's flawed i think like there's 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 enough patience even if it didn't register as like the patience that you appreciate you know it's like it's like a beginner's guide to patience you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah so all right oh no like no one has there there is a there's a drastic impatience to how we're taking in actual information not just entertainment anymore yeah. to the point where like no one can sustain outrage long enough for a problem to be appropriately tackled. You know, it's just like, cause it's not possible. There's yeah. too much to be outraged at. And it's just like, Oh, are we still talking about this? Yes. Because it's not fucking fixed yet. You asshole. Like, so like there, we, you need to relearn patience at the, the speed and pace that we take in information. Like you need to adjust. So we're, we aren't just sort of like shutting down. You know, and it like mm -hmm. it starts it, you know, unfortunately, an aspect of that is conditioned through entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, like you learn how to to adjust to pacing like through like like the training wheels of it is through like entertainment. And if like I think we should adjust and start to like take in more ambiguity, more time, more frustration if you are like impatient at some of that slowness and pacing. You know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, there's. Near the near the uh, you know not not totally at the climax of the Bad Batch, but near the end, Keanu Reeves really his character um, comes much more into the sort of like the he comes forward as a major character near the end, and he has I didn't I didn't check my watch or anything, but he has a long monologue, a long speech, yeah. which yeah, yeah. I, I will say Keanu Reeves this is one of my favorite Keanu Reeves performances. I think he's so great. And he's in such an exciting time in his career, you know, where he's where he gets to do what he wants. Yes, exactly. And he's doing it. Uh, cool directors like Anna Lily Amirpour and Nicholas Winding Refn. Maybe there's some other directors with three names that like him, too. <laughs> they, <so. laughs> they've just been using him in weird character parts where he's getting to do the, the strange sort of Brad Pitt or Colin Farrell like character parts where he can really shine and not have to carry a movie on his shoulders. And he just it, I'm just it's so exciting to see new layers of Keanu Reeves as an actor. Like he is, he's really special. And I think it's so exciting this part of his career. So he's, he's just killing this monologue in the movie. And there is so much going on in the things that he talks about and allusions to other, um, elements, other, other things that you can take away from the bad batch. Like, uh, just that all wrapped up in this one conversation. And it, yet it's still like, um, ambiguous enough or he's not being uh very direct about anything he talks about but you could so it's like open enough for you to take what you want from it or to to add meaning to what it to what it's saying for the movie like you can mm -hmm. bring a lot to it 
And yet it's just thrilling to watch at the same time for me anyway, to just see this actor, like pull this off. And, um, I, I love the, uh, as good as uh, I think this movie is so strong, so good at like world building. I think I'd said that earlier, but it also leaves things open ended enough. Like there's an element. Okay. Keanu Reeves character. He's just sort of like, like the Baron of this, this town. Like he's sort of, he's the cult leader. leader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got, we didn't even say uh, a completely original image. I don't think I've ever seen before. He's got like an army of pregnant women with machine guns that are like his foot soldiers. The movie never, as far as I remembered or recalled, like it doesn't, it does not go into what's that all like, what's that all about? You know, you, you, you see that and you're like, I kept thinking like, what is going on there? But I love it because you have to, you can sort of piece together what he might be up to. Um, Yeah. You you could assume that like here here's a, a sort of more inclusive version of civilization that contrast with the raw brutality of the cannibal camp, you have like this was more ideal. This is more aligned with most kind of like open minded liberal thinkers, but there still is a dark side to that that mm-hmm. isn't made specific. Like you could assume the women with machine guns who have machine guns, so they're still empowered, but they're most likely lulled into being sex surrogates for doughy Keanu Reeves. Yep. And so you're just like, all right, so there's a dark side to all of this. So where there, and that's, that's, that's never not going to be topical for living here. Like this is a, a country of profound contradiction constantly, like mm-hmm. crippling contradiction where it's just like, you can't, you, we can't live in the sort of idealism that's proclaimed and beloved by in theory, most people while still being, inherently horrifically racist for as as long as the country's existed like mm-hmm. the, this is a country of contradictions and so like you have people trying to survive while existing in these dualistic camps that contradict each other yeah you know? and, like there's just like there's so much to to wander through as mm-hmm. the movie itself wanders and it was just like it to have that opportunity i think is rare and to do it in the dark because like this movie is coming out in select theaters but it also is going to on demand and like you watched it you watched it uh, a screener link mm-hmm. and we're as you know as immersed as the filmmaker would most likely want you to be but at the same time like there was nothing like just sitting in the theater to watch this with a gigantic audience when i saw it the first time yeah. and it was just that's that becoming so rare like this, this is another movie that like, if you get the chance, if you're compelled by what we're saying, like go see it in the theater. Yeah. Be a little lonely. I don't know how many people are going to show up for the movie, but like, you know, it, it deserves like, there is a, there is a scope to the vision of this film. That's beautiful on the big screen. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. And it's going to open at the Hollywood theater here in Portland. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. I was fighting to get it at, at my theater, but uh, I think it's a better fit at that one. And cause yeah. they have a more genre friendly audience and I cannot wait to go see it. I'm going to see it as soon as I can, because I not only need to see it on a big screen and in a much better quality than how I got to watch it, but uh, I just want to see it again. I feel like I feel like those ambiguities, the things we've talked about are what make this movie great to me because I want to go back to it. I have not had that feeling for even a lot of the movies I liked this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's it's very exciting in that way. Um, I also, you know, just want to say that there's a, a an element in the ending that it's all it's all very character based that I really liked because as, as much as this movie builds a world and and sort of lives and breathes and it takes its time all the things we've talked about it comes down to like a character thing near the end where the Suki Waterhouse character just essentially says like I want to be a part she doesn't know what she wants but she just knows that she wants to be a part of a solution and I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment and the way the movie achieves that um is is kind of beautiful and kind of scary. I mean, it, it's got all those things going on. And um, I just love that idea of the character who wants to be a part of a solution. And sure. I mean, a lot of character journeys and movies and stories are essentially that, but there was something about like the, the world that this movie is set in the time we're in right now in the real world, politically in this country, all that stuff to just hear someone say like, I want to actually be a part of a solution and sort of leave behind very troubling facts about other people that she might help to accomplish that. I don't know. There was something really 
beautiful that that like and kind of profound that struck me and uh um yeah i don't know i i really loved that about it and it's all wrapped up in this weird sort of uh like harmony kareen gummo like genre movie at times you know like i i felt a big harmony kareen thing with this but it's so much sweeter than anything harmony kareen like has right. ever done you know yeah when it started premiering at um festivals last summer mm-hmm. there was like an idea like this is a movie of trump's america this is prior to the election and like reading stuff like that i was constantly like all right are, are we still going to cling to this shit when he loses the election and then uh having that come true and like seeing this escalating out of control reality where it's difficult to satirize something that is so runaway ridiculous most of the time like being our current political climate (laughs) and uh this movie still exists in enough of an abstract where you can you don't have to get pinned to a corner with the political statement it's making you don't have to like be like well it's saying this and that i don't agree with that it's like there's enough to sort of like pick apart and be abstract and like that like to to have room to consider and not be cornered into saying something specific which has like you know we we should have time to ponder and like and have a realm where we're not pitted against each other so like drastically to the point where no one hears each other anymore. Yeah, totally. Is that too much reach? <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It is not at all. Um, also, great soundtrack and you know super cool visuals. Yeah. Like let's let's not downplay that. Like this is a cool movie. And if you yeah. if you if you like stylish filmmaking, that like is yeah. every shot, everything has been considered to like take the advantage of what cinema can do. Like that's another thing. And, uh, that's another thing worth mentioning. I mean, hell I couldn't, uh, I was so excited to hear an Ace of Base song at the beginning of this movie that like, I I was, what's that? It's very well used. It is. It's so well used. And also just that's, that's the type of music, uh, that will like transport me to a certain time. I can imagine being on a school bus hearing that shit, you know, like as a kid. So, um, yeah, yeah t- especially t- juxtaposed with what's happening in the scene. Like it's a yeah. horrific juxtaposition. Yes, absolutely. And it's, uh, some of those lyrics really beautifully are commenting on what's happening. It's, it's one of those things where it's like on the nose lyrically, but, um, kind of perfectly mm-hmm. on the nose. It's, uh, something that I, I think of like in Donnie Darko, like Richard Kelly uses lyrics that are so on the nose sometimes, but it's kind of perfect, you know? And, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, I just, uh, God, you know, Talk, the more I talk about, the, I'll, maybe maybe I'll decide this after a second viewing. But I, I think the Bad Batch is the one right now for me. Like this is this is like my movie this year. This is this is the favorite. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it feels good to say, and it. it I hope more people come around to it uh, than has than those that have been able to see it at festivals so far. Because I, I just think this movie is just filled with stuff going on and. Um, I wouldn't even want to trim the fat off of it. I, I, I'm a very big fan of this movie. Yeah, yeah. me too. In addition to uh, these two films that are opening in Los Angeles, but both are expanding sort of uh, in the next couple weeks. Uh, also opening is The Big Sick, uh, which was written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, I believe is her name. And it's based loosely on a true story of the two of them meeting and uh, her falling shortly thereafter into a coma and the sort of like weird limbo their relationship was in before she got sick and how he has to meet her family. And, um, you know, we, we talk about like movies fighting for space in theaters, which is where like they, like they, they really, it's the proper place for them as much as we're finding new ways to watch and experience films. And I think romantic comedies are, and comedies in general are like, they will get squeezed out uh, quicker than a lot of other genres to like streaming platforms. And so to have not only uh, a comedy, like fight for its place, but one that's like genuine and one that like uh, really has a, a sense of stake and isn't driven by gimmicks, even though like the the real life sort of hook of the movie is intriguing. It's not driven by a gimmick 
that most sort of like contemporary comedies and romantic comedies hinge on how to lose a guy in 10 or whatever the fuck that, that was but like they, they all have like this, this intense gimmick driven hook. That's like desperate for people to like, no, it's about a guy who uh, he took too many dick pills and then, uh, okay, I don't really need to see this. And <laughs> there's, they're too often hinging on gross out stuff because that seemed to be a formula that would you could get the the ladies to go to the movie for the romantic comedy angle and the guys will stick around for the shit jokes you know and like this movie is authentic and heartfelt and really it does earn its sort of like uh it's it's harder moments and it's got an incredible cast holly hunter and ray romano are great as emily's parents and Kumail is just like he's such an insanely likable presence, and he's, his uh, his who became his wife is not played by his wife; it's played by Zoe Kazan, and she she's outstanding as well. And so, uh, I'm excited for you to see it, Eric, so we can go into it in depth. But I just want to give you know a quick plug that people should see it as soon as they can in the in the cities it's opening in. Totally, man. I, it looks like one of those like indie comedies, one of the Sundance movies this year that could really cross over and, and do pretty yeah. well. Amazon picked it up, so you know they're 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 doing their part. It's in good hands for the most part. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, cool. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Hope maybe it'll even be the next episode that we'll be able to get to that one. So, uh, so just chill to the next episode. <laughs> nice. All right. So why don't we wrap up episode 148 of Just Your Tracking? Uh, we, uh, this show and all our other podcasts are part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find us on theplaylist.net. Uh, we are, uh, you can communicate with me and Joe if you want at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page, uh, Twitter as well. What's the handle there, Joe? At adjustyourtrack. That's right. Come find us there. We'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll take a while, but we'll get back to you. Come find yeah. us. Be patient. Learn yeah. patience. Exactly. It's the theme of this episode. Um, so yeah, uh, learn some patience. Go see The Bad Batch. And I, you know, what the hell? Go see The Beguiled. I, I'm yeah, not I, would, I would say go see The Beguiled. <clears throat> Support Eric, this movie. Caution and be like, yeah, go, go, go see it. <laughs> not a fan, but I do think people should see it for sure. So yeah, if you do, let us know what you think. Um, and we'll be thankful for that. But not as thankful as I am to talk with you, Joe. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric.